Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for the 4th of July outreach, God. And Lord, I thank you for all those who come, Lord. And it's, it's a long day, working hard. And um, Lord, and, and so but there, there's lots of fruit, Lord Jesus. And I even look around this room and I see some folks that are here today, God, because we reached out to them on the 4th and, and loved them and, and, and invited them and they found out about us. And so God, we pray that you would, that you would um, just Go before us in this in this outreach, Lord, that we could be a light, that we could be fun and normal and, and just be um, received by our community as a, as a group of people that love you, God, and, and love one another. And so, Father, help us um, in that venture. And, Lord, help us now as we begin to study your word to bring meaning and meat out of your word. And, and so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, it says, So he got into a boat, and he crossed over, and he came to his own city. Which was his own city? Uh, were you in the early service? Everybody wants to say Bethlehem or Nazareth. Or... So Jesus' own city here in verse number 1 is a place called Capernaum. Now, um, maybe later in his life, or maybe, maybe he never lived there with his family, but in his ministry, he had a place there near the, the Sea of Galilee on the north kind of east side of the Galilee. Capernaum is one of the most beautiful places on the Sea of Galilee. It's like the Laguna Beach of Southern California. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. And it was in this place that, that Peter lived, and Peter had a house, and um, Jesus would spend lots of time there. So Jesus would venture out, and then it says he would come to his own city. He would come to his own place, and he would, some, for some reason, land in this area called Capernaum. So when we go to Israel, we'll, we'll see Capernaum. It's, um, it's a place where there's a big sign, and it says, the city of Jesus. And so you stand next to the sign, and you point, you smile at it, and you take a selfie, and I should show mine. I got a couple of them where I'm standing next to the sign of the city of Jesus. But what's interesting about Capernaum is that Jesus cursed it. And he said, if the miracles that were done in Capernaum, had they been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. And, and, and woe to you, Chorazin and Capernaum, because you didn't repent. And, and so for that reason, as Jesus cursed it to this day, there's like nobody really living in Capernaum. But one of the cool things that's happened through that is a lot of the ancient um, places are still there to this day. So there, there's a, there's a, yes, more, good, a little more. I got to get rid of this stupid thing, man. This is like, my brother calls it the Miley Cyrus mic and I'm not down with that, so. I got I to gotta get rid of it. But um, so the, the ruins are, are, are all preserved. So Capernaum is a wonderful place to visit. You're still in the, in the times of Jesus. Peter's house was there. That's preserved. They built a, um, a, a church over the top of it to preserve the ruins of Peter's church and or Peter's house and where Jesus was in last chapter where he healed his mother-in-law. And so we, we just really like being in that area. It just feels comfortable being in the city that was Jesus's own city. And it says, and then... Behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, for your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. So it's not told in this gospel, but this is the story in the other gospels where Jesus goes into a house 
and the people begin to crowd into the house to see Jesus. Now, again, when we go to Israel and we visit there, there's a house that's not authentic from the time. It's rebuilt to, to simulate this house that Jesus was in. But we go in it and, and we crowd the whole tour group in there and it's hard and people are coming and standing. And there's a little ladder that goes up to the loft in the house where people would sleep. And you climb up on the ladder so you can teach and read this verse. Well, Jesus was there in this house and the people were crowded in. And in those days, the, the roof would be would have, you know, beams or logs. And then in between the logs, they were thatched or whatever they would use to keep the temperature out. And some of them were were built into the hillside. So you could almost walk off the hillside onto the roof. So these guys get up there and they're they're ripping the thatch off. And Jesus is inside giving a Bible study and things are falling on people's head and dust. And eventually they get a hole big enough and they lower this paralytic guy down to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I imagine the guys on the roof were like, oh, no, hey, we went through all this trouble not to forgive his sins. Don't you see that he's, he's paralyzed and we, we put him down so that you would heal him. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. Now, the Bible doesn't say about this guy, but history tells us, it's been passed down through history, that this guy was in the condition he was as a result of his sin. That, that, that he had a... Um, a disease that was brought about by a lifestyle that he was leading of sin. Now, this is a, a concept that for us as Christians, we got to battle against because sometimes you can see somebody's life that, you know, has some trouble and maybe is a little messed up in an area. And, and, and your, your idea, your heart is to say, like, where did they sin? What did they do? Why is God cursing them? Like, what, what did you do wrong that, that God's not put his hand to blessing. Now that's a very religious and a very pharisaical and, and it's not a, a good way to be right. We don't want to assume that, that God's cursing somebody because they're going through something difficult because they've had a disease because they've had a struggle. But it's also true as in this case, where oftentimes, listen, your lifestyle, it can lead and the decisions that you make can lead to you being in a position of, of, of paralytic of, destruction of sin, right? A certain lifestyles. And so for this guy, and again, we got to be careful that we don't look through the world with those goggles because those are definitely not so many people and other stories are recorded. You know, the Pharisees saw a guy who had some trouble and they looked at Jesus on, with the same idea and they said, who sinned? This guy or his parents? Why is he like that? Somebody sinned. Him or his parents? Jesus, which was it? And Jesus said, neither one of them sinned, but, but, but that God would receive the glory. And so, and so he allowed this situation for God's glory. I'm sure the guy's going like, don't you think God could have got glory some other way? You know, that I have to go through this. But listen, that, that, that's, that's okay. He's going to be in heaven or he's going to get through it. He's going to heal. And we're going to look back. It's going to be 2020. You know, it was like the, um, you know, the, the, the woman who was deaf and blind and she wasn't born that way. And she had an amazing ministry of, of serving God. And late in her life, you know, she became blind at, you know, at a, at a middle age. And they asked her, what would she change in her life? And she said, I wish I was born blind. Just because of the, she, she, the struggle that she went through, it, it made her who she was. And she saw God and she, she was able to glorify God through her blindness and her struggle. And, and at the end of her life, she didn't regret her struggle. She, she, she relished in the fact that she was on her way to heaven where she was going to see and where, where she was going to be um, glorified together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was no regret. And so um, 
So Jesus says to this guy, your sins are forgiven. Now, listen, I want you guys to catch this. Um, In verse three, it says, and at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemies, blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, now, listen, one of the you got to catch this whole thing. So take me a minute to go in a circle. I'm going to come back. One of the greatest qualities of Jesus that, that I admire, that I would like to be like, that I think is so powerful and so valuable, is, is what it says right here in verse 4. Jesus looked into this person's life, and he saw what the real concern was inside them. So many times, people come to Jesus, and they, say, they ask him a question. And then Jesus answers something that's totally different than the question they asked. It's like the person came and their lips were moving and all Jesus was hearing was walk, 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 because he could see right into their heart and he begins to speak to them and something changes in their life. Their countenance changes. They begin to weep. They begin to, their heart is moved and touched because there was the real issue that Jesus was able to speak to. Now, that's a quality that Jesus had in spades. Well, he's God, right? So he had a little one up on us, right? But he, but again, that quality is, is a Christian quality that you and I can possess, that we can have, that we need a gift of the Spirit to love people. You know, some, some, of, the, some of the most valuable people in my life are dear Christians who, who have this type of gift. One of them is a woman named Sherry, um, and, and she was one of Pastor Gerald's lifelong secretaries. They've been together in ministry for 30 years. She handles all the finance for the church back home. And, and, and I used to tease her because you go in her office and you sit down and you begin to talk to her about something and, and you don't leave without crying. And so I'd say, you're so mean. Everybody comes out of your office crying. I'm going to get a big bucket of tissue and I'm going to keep them on the outside of your office. But you would go down and you would sit in her chair and, and you would begin to talk to her. And all she would hear was walk, 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 walk. And then she would begin to ask you questions that were to the heart, were, that were real issues. And she could listen and hear. Now, we, we sang a song, right? The last song that we sang was Soul on Fire. Now, do we, does everybody understand what that concept means, soul on fire? Like, what does that mean, like, to be a, an on-fire Christian? Like, so you might say something about somebody like, oh, man, that brother's on fire. As opposed to another brother who is nominal. As opposed to somebody else who, um, you know, has a lot of sight walking and, 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 and um, you know, small vision and, and no power. And, and, and somebody else who's all in or, or on fire. You know, last week, one of the things I said about Pastor Vlad is that dude is on fire. He's a guy whose soul's on fire. You can't be around that dude long where you, you just don't see the hand of God on his life, where he doesn't speak something into your life or into your situation that you know he heard only from God. You know, I think my brother's that way. My brother has that soul that's on fire and everybody who's around him, it's just contagious because he, he's that personality that his soul is on fire for God. And, and every, everywhere he's around, he's not going to, and not that it's bad and none of that stuff, but that's just not where he is. But he's not going to, and not that he can't, but he's not going to talk to you about the sports and the this and the that. And it's just going to bore him. Eventually the conversation's going to go back to God before you know you're going to be talking something about God and you're going to be fired up because that's just what he wants to talk about. It's just who he is. And um, but that, that filling and that on fire, it, it's, it's available for each one of us. And it's, listen, it's a goal. And Jesus here, he, he has, again, this ability that comes from relationship and comes from that soul on fire. Now, what I love is Elijah is a, is a prophet in the Old Testament. He's somebody that God called to, to be a mouthpiece that he would speak to God and God would speak to him. And then he would speak to the people about what God said. 
And then the people would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would tell God what the people said. The same function of a prophet and a priest until the time of Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, veil of the temple. So Elijah, this Old Testament prophet, he he was out by the lake one day, and his guy, his his friend was was chopping some wood near the near the lake or the river, and his axe head breaks off, and it goes out into the lake, and it falls down, and the guy starts whining. Oh my gosh, I borrowed that axe. It's not even mine. I don't have the money to pay it back. And so Elijah makes the axe head float to the top of the water, and then he tells the guy, "Dude, quit whining. Go get your axe head." That was like a Tuesday for Elijah, right? Like, like just, just what he does when he's bored, you know, go, makes an axe head float to the top and tells the guy to go get an axe head. Well, there's a verse in the Bible that says that you and I, we, we have, that, that Elijah and us have like passions. And what that means is that you have the same DNA, you have the same potential, you have the same exact makeup that Elijah had to make axe heads float on the water. That, that Elijah wasn't, because I think we get the idea that Elijah was some super Christian. And that Chuck Smith was some super Christian. And Billy Graham was some super Christian. And we'll, we'll never get there. We'll never attain. The, the 12 disciples of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus loved one of them more than he loved the other 11? Oh, favoritism. Jesus doesn't show favorites. Yes, he does. At least that's what the Bible says. Because Jesus said the disciple whom Jesus loved more than the others. How did Jesus love John more than the others? That's not fair. Listen, James explains it. James says that, that if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Jesus didn't necessarily, he didn't definitely wake up one morning and say, you know, John's kind of handsome. John got his stuff together. John's got cool jeans. John's funny. He's got funny sayings and he wears cool Maui gym glasses. Is that what they're called? Yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't arbitrarily pick John out of the 12 disciples. He all Jesus did was respond to where John was. John was laying on Jesus's bosom at the Last Supper with a special intimacy. And he shared with Jesus a little more intimacy than the other disciples, because John just was on fire. John was that guy who loved Jesus. John was that guy who wanted to be all in with Jesus. And Jesus just met him where he was. Jesus would have met the other 11 in the same place or in a better place if that's what, what they put into it. Are you guys tracking? And, and so, listen, part of this, you know, the, the Bible talks about lots of gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And that each one of us should have um, desire that we should, we should have gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gives. And each one of us do. And whether we stir up those gifts or whether we let those gifts stay dormant, you know, if you're a Christ follower, God has created in you god has blessed you god has given you gifts of the holy spirit but 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 it says in there that you should desire the gift of prophecy which is the greatest gift it's it's the it's the ability again that jesus demonstrates here and don't forget i want to bring it back full circle now to where i am in verse four that that jesus looked into people's lives and he spoke truth and that's 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 a desire that's a quality that each one of us should desire right you know and and I don't know how to illustrate it other than to say, like, do, do you guys know anybody like that? Do you have anybody in your life that, that just knows things, just speaks to you a certain way, just loves you a certain way? You know, you can just, 
just touch a piece of your heart that, that you didn't even ask them to touch that, that you, they, that needed to be touched, you know, and, and, and having that and having that on fire closeness from God. So, all right. So in verse number five, it says, for which is easier to say, all right, hold on real quick. Got to back up. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? So basically the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Now they understood a a principle that only God can forgive sin. Somebody say only God. So Jesus was claiming what? To be God. Yet once again, over and over and over again in the Bible, Jesus in the gospels, Jesus is very clear that he's God. Do you remember the story where Jesus said before Abraham was ego on me, I am. And what did the Pharisees and the Sadducees do that were in the crowd? Just split my pants. Just kidding. Um, you're like, you're splitting something else too, Pastor. <laughs> they, they bent down and picked up rocks. Why, why did the Sadducees and the Pharisees, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, ego on me, why did they bend down and pick up rocks? Because they understood something very clearly that Jesus was claiming to be God. They were going to stone him for blasphemy because he just told them he was God. Well, same thing here. Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven. They know that's only God can forgive sins. So they're claiming he's blasphemous. He's claiming to be God. And then Jesus asks a question, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say to you, arise and walk. Which is easier? I don't know, (laughs) y'all. I've been reading this passage for 25 years. I still ask myself every day, what do you mean? Like, which is easier? But I know what what they say they say is easier. But to say, arise and walk, you know, it's something that's tangible. It's something that if I said that to you, you you could get up and you could could see that that's that's the case. But if I say your sins are forgiven, nobody knows whether I did anything or there's any power in it. You know, that's, that's between you and God and, and whether your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and to have your sins forgiven. So, so Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven you. But again, what, what if, if in this case, which the Bible doesn't tell us, it's conjecture. But what if in this case, this guy was a paralytic because of sin in his life? What was his real need? To be healed? You know, some people want God to heal, to heal them physically. Put a lot, a lot of, a lot of weight in it. I pray for a young man. It's on my prayer list. And he told God that if you take my loved one from cancer, I'll never serve you again. And, 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 and I pray for this young man because he's kept to that so far. The loved one died from cancer and he's committed that, that God did him wrong and that he, he that he's never going to walk with him or serve him again. Now, we, we want a healing, but listen, what, what happens if, if, if God heals somebody from cancer at a young age and, and then they go on and they live their whole life like the devil, they die and go to hell. Was, was the physical healing of cancer at a young age, was that as valuable as if Jesus had said or spoke life into that person's heart in their life, your sins are forgiven you, your greatest need before air, before food, before water, is the forgiveness and the redemption of Jesus Christ. Your number one need is to be redeemed by Jesus Christ to eternal salvation before you need your next breath. And for this guy, 
he, he needed his sins to be forgiven. You know, you, you, you can, you don't, you live all of eternity with, you know, with a deformity or something wrong with you. But if you're in eternity, way better than God healing something. Like, I'm going to be the, you guys will recognize me in heaven. I'm going to be the only person in heaven that doesn't have a right foot. That thing is definitely not saved. It's not going to heaven. It's of the devil. And it's not going with me. But, the, but you'll know. You'll see me. I'll be limping around in heaven because my right foot didn't make it. But, but I'll be there. And, and so for this guy, he, 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 he needed his sins forgiven. And Jesus dealt first with his important issue of his sins being forgiven. And then he says to him, um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and deported to his house. Now, another quick thing was that... Um, did this paralytic have the ability to bring himself to Jesus? Evidently not, right? Like he, he's paralytic. Like, do I need to define what that means for you guys? Like before the days of segways and motorized chair, wheelchairs and those kind of things, like he, he didn't have an ability to come to Jesus. So the, the four friends in the story, right? How valuable was their faith? Was, was their willingness to rip a roof off. What, what do you think came with that? Do you think they ripped some the roof off of some dude's house and then just left when it was over? Said, so bad, so sad. Or maybe they're responsible. Maybe they had to go back and fix the guy's roof. And, but there was definitely some buy-in somewhere. But they, they bring this guy at any cost and, and they, they bring him to Jesus. Now listen, that's a call of you and I. Which, is, which one of the disciples, every time you see him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus? Who is that? Which disciple? Always bringing somebody to Jesus. Philip, right? Every time you see him, he's, he's recorded that he's bringing somebody to Jesus. But, but again, for you and I, you know, when we first started our church, um, you know, and I was, I was working out, uh, full-time job in the world and had lots of cool stories. And, you know, and I think we were in a season of, um, you know, as a church where like it was a challenge and everybody was inviting and bringing and but we, we got to keep that heart and we got to keep that heart as we grow, that you invite your friends, that you bring your friends. And sometimes we don't invite friends or bring friends for other reasons. Maybe they're going to ask me a question that's too hard. Maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're going to show up and my pastor is going to split his pants during the sermon. And, um, <laughs> You know, it's to be embarrassing or whatever, you know. But listen, here, here's the deal. You, you, don't, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have all the answers. The Bible says by the blood of the lamb and the power of your testimony is how people are going to come to Jesus. So basically, that just means just tell them what Jesus did in your life. Look, man, I don't know. I don't, I, evolution and whatever, creation, maybe I don't have all the science behind it, but I know what God did in my life. I know that I was a sinner. I know that I was broken and that, that God has put a lot of joy and a lot of, you know, and this is what God's done in my family. And, you know, you always have that. And why don't you come and see, come and see, go and tell, come and see, go and tell, just come and see that God is good. And so you bring people, you invite people, but that's again, how, how important it is that we bring people to Jesus. Some people are never going to come. Some people are never going to come apart from you going and picking them up or from you nagging. You know, if you have somebody you've been telling about Jesus or you've been inviting to church and, and they just keep telling you, no, 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 no. And, you know, they're angry or whatever. And they're 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 shunning you now and they don't want to talk to you. Keep inviting them. Keep bugging them. 
you know, because if they come and get saved, they're going to tell your story for the rest of their lives. Man, I'm so glad my friend just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And I really honestly never wanted to talk to him or see him again. But I'm so glad he kept coming and kept telling me about Jesus and kept encouraging me and kept loving me. All right, we were going to cover this whole chapter today. I promise I prepared for 38 verses today. We're in number nine. Let's keep moving or try. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said, follow. And he said to him, follow me. And so he arose and followed him. You know, Luke's gospel tells us another detail about this story. Now, Matthew records this of his own um, calling and he doesn't say it. But Luke tells us that Matthew left all he had to follow Jesus. The follow me. Um sandwiched between these 10 miracles that are recorded for us in in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 that we're going through right now um, is these two statements where Jesus is telling us to follow him. Now, one of the things I say about Jesus following him all the time is that, you know, good people don't go to heaven. People that follow Jesus go to heaven. And that's a biblical concept of follow me. But what's amazing is last week, the, the, the message um, was, was kind of a real serious message about counting the cost of being all in. But, but our absolute example of that are the 12 disciples. And what's recorded of each of them, because Jesus prayed all night before he called them, but every one of them left all to follow Jesus. You know, these, these are guys that were generational in their family business who were in the middle of a work day when Jesus walks by and looks at him and says, follow me. And they dropped their nets and left everything to follow Jesus immediately became full on Christ followers. And eventually each every one of them died for their faith. And so Matthew here, who was a tax collector, the interesting thing about the 12 disciples and about Jesus period is that Jesus brings a bunch of different people together from different walks of life. Amen. You know, you look around this room, we got different personalities, we got different demographics, we got different um, backgrounds and political views. And, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. He was he was Jewish. He was somebody who um, worked for the Romans and was hated by the Jews. It's like, how many of you guys, if you get a letter when you get home today and it's from the IRS on the outside, how many of you guys are going to love to open that letter? Like, it's not, it's not tax return season, right? If you get a letter this time of year from the IRS, nobody's happy to see it. Well, that's, that's Matthew showing up at your door. And then um, the way the Romans would collect taxes is they'd have a group, an area of houses, of community that Matthew would be over. And, and the Romans would expect a certain dollar amount. And so your salary was based on how much above you collected. So, you know, if it was $10,000, you collected um, 15000 You gave ten to Rome. Five was your salary. But what happened is the tax collectors became pretty crooked and um, and, and, and would collect way over because they got to keep everything and they were hated by the Jews. One of the other disciples that Jesus calls was a zealot. So he was like your, you know, Jew of Jews. It was everything Jew and hated the Roman oppression and had, had a tattoo of the Jewish flag on his arm. And out of the back of his pickup truck, he flew two flags of Israel, you know, and played his born to be wild music and was all things Israel hated anything that was anti and Matthew who was hated by the zealots and Jesus brings them all together and makes them disciples. And so then he goes on and he says um, in verse number 10, it says now it happened as Jesus sat at the table at the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him 
and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, one of my favorite tags, one of my favorite titles for Jesus is right here. A friend of sinners. This, 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 I was just going to say this dude, and I kind of caught myself. I'd be careful calling Jesus this dude. Our Lord Jesus had a reputation of being a, a friend of everyday people, a friend of sinners. They, they called him a, a wine bibber and a, and a glutton because he ate meals and, and, he, and he hang out with sinners. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, man, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. They, at one point they said, if you knew what type of woman that was, you would have nothing to do with her. And Jesus knew exactly what type of woman she was. And yet Jesus loved her. And the church here, and Jesus is saying, I didn't come for the, for the well. They have no need of a physician. I've come for the sick. And, and, and the church, listen, our church, it, it's a hospital, right? That's a concept of church. It's a hospital for the sick. So it's normal. It's, it's, it should be normal that we have sinners here, right? Like I say all the time, like what kind of hospital doesn't have any sick people? Either a really, really, really good hospital because all their sick people got well or a really bad hospital. But, but hospitals should have sick people, right? We should have sinners in our church. You know what people say about our church? We had, we had him say this to a brother that came, got saved here, started growing in the Lord. And one, one of his old friends said to him, you go to that church so you can smoke and drink. True story. And he said, well, he said, actually, since I left your church and started at that church, I stopped smoking and drinking. Because when I was at your church, I smoked and drank, but nobody knew it. And since I've met Jesus, I've stopped smoking and drinking. And I'm growing. But you know, that that's the reputation we have, right? You know, after church today, someone's going to be going to the post office and they're going to see some of you guys go out to your car and have a smoke. And what are they going to say? Oh, look at that church. I'm never going to that church. But you know what they miss? They miss the grace of God. They, they, they miss the gospel. They miss the love of Jesus. Now, listen, if, if we still in our hospital have the same sick people a year down the road, now maybe we're doing a bad job, right? You know, we, we haven't made them well. But what, you know what we pray for? The craziest thing in church is that my biggest prayer, one of my biggest prayers is that God would bring us sick people. God would bring us sinners that are far from him, that we could share with them the love of Jesus and see their lives change. And then what happens? This couple comes through the door and they're far from God. And they, 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 we want to, you know, I'm like, oh, my prayers are answered. And like two weeks later, they're just trouble. And there's all kinds of problems and drama. And they're messing around with everybody. And I'm like, I got to be careful. That's what I asked for. I asked for God to bring us people that are sick so that we can make them. Well, that's the business we're in. That's what we're doing, right? We got to all have that heart that that that's the purpose of what we do. So, yeah, we got to love those people. There's, you know, God didn't, we don't not just need a bunch of polished people that are perfect. Listen, if you're looking for a perfect church, this is not it. We're, we're a hospital for the sick and we want to stay that way. And again, we want to see sick people made well. But I got another little piece of advice for you. If you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, please don't join it because you'll ruin it. It won't be perfect anymore because you'll be there. But I, I love, again, this heart of Jesus, you guys. You know, and, and back to my friend. 
You know, my friend that, that, that was having this conversation and, you know, he, he was telling his friend that, you know, the, the concept, the idea that the world believes about, about this amazing grace, they just don't understand the concept of grace. They don't understand the power of grace. And they think that if, if, if God gives us grace to, to, to have freedom in life, how we live, that we're going to use that grace to sin. And it works exactly the opposite. You know, once you've been given the free grace of God, it motivates you not to sin. It motivates you to want to love and serve God. And it's the grace of God that, that changes lives. It's the power of that grace. And grace absolutely changes everything. And so I love that Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know, we, we should have some, some sinner friends in our lives, right? Like you guys should be friends with certain sinners. You, you should have people in your life that, that don't know Jesus. That, you know, and now again, we want to be careful. I'm not telling you that you go hang out at the bar and you belly up because you're, you're being Christ-like friend of sinners like jesus changed the people that was in his life you know when i was working out at walmart at the at the distribution center one of the one of the girls who i worked closely with was was gay and um you know we we had such a good relationship and and we were i I really went out of my way to because i didn't want to be stereotyped um and and so i you know i just treated the way i treat anybody else but on purpose loved her on purpose reached out to her and never, never tried to convict her, never tried to tell her life was sin or any different than, than the, the other people I worked with who didn't know Jesus and were in, in the same situation because they just didn't know Jesus. They're just sinners, just like us all. They're sinners that were, that were not saved. But you know what? Rather than try to, you know, be nasty or convict her or stand out on a street corner and hold a sign that said, God hates faggots, you know, and I promise you Jesus wouldn't act that way. But, you know, you know in this girl's life, if... If she, if God begins to work in her heart, apart from me, and the Holy Spirit, which is the job of the Holy Spirit, not me, by the way, the Holy Spirit begins to convict her and pour his heart on her. And, and she says to herself, man, I'd love to talk to somebody about God. Who can I talk to? Well, I, I, I know that there's a pastor I work with that's pretty nice to me. He's pretty cool. I bet you I could talk to him. Or would she say, definitely can't talk to that pastor at church. He hates me. He thinks I'm a terrible person because of my lifestyle. And so living a lifestyle that loves people. Again, I'm not telling us that we're getting in bed with folks and, and doing what they're doing and, be, you know, becoming chameleons. That's, that's missing the point. But definitely living our lives in such a way that, that we can love sinners. That, that sinners can be comfortable enough around us that, that when, when God begins to work in their heart and life, they can come to you and say, hey, let's talk about this God that you, you, you know, that you talk about all the time. Amen. Amen. You guys good with 13 verses today? All right. 13 says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus ends with um, this basic call that, that goes all through the Bible. You guys can close up there if you want. We're done after 13. Um, that he doesn't desire sacrifice, but mercy. Now, let me unpack this really quick. Um, King David understood this. King David went to go buy a field um, that he wanted to give to the Lord. And when King David got there, the guy who owned the field said, oh my gosh, you're King David. Like, you don't have to buy it. I'll give it to you. And and David said, no, I'm not going to offer to God that which costs me nothing. That there there was a certain... Um, sacrifice that needed to be made to buy this field. When, when David, after that, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he came to this point in his life 
where God told him, I, I don't want sacrifice, but I want a broken and a contrite heart. So you, you, you have some sin in your life or you have some struggle in your life and your, your, your resolve is that you're going to come to church on Sunday and you're going to paint the walls and, and you're going to get right with God by serving and you're going to give extra in the offering and you're going to do, do, do to, to make sacrifices in your life to get right with God. And God doesn't want your sacrifice. He doesn't want your paintbrush or your check. He wants your heart. And this is what he was telling these guys that were calling him a friend of sinners and, and wine bibbers and gluttons. Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy. I desire a broken and a contrite heart. You know, God would be much more pleased with you if you want to repent than coming and, and serving at the church to try to make, make your situation better. That if you stayed home and got in your room and you got on your knees and your heart broke before God as you said, God, forgive me. God, work in my life. And then as God pours his spirit of forgiveness and love and gentleness on you, that you rise up out of that and you go and serve somebody and just go and love God and put it in the past and drive the car of life through the windshield and not, not, not the rearview mirror. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Jesus, so much for this day, God. And we thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that the call that we heard today, Lord, was for us to be, have our souls on fire, God. To be in a place where we, we relationally, we spend time with God every day. That we get up in the morning and we think about God and we want to spend a little time with him. And as the day goes on, we, we stay in that place of being relational and connected to God. And, and, and we're sensitive to the move of God's Holy Spirit so that when, when somebody comes who needs help and needs a blessing, we're, we're that channel of blessing. So God, create in us a, a heart that loves people, Lord, a heart, God, that can speak truth and life into people. Lord, I pray that we would, as Matthew, when you call us to follow you, that we would immediately leave all, no matter what the cost, and follow you and know that we're going to live a life of abundance. And even if that life is going to end in martyrdom, as it did with Matthew, that, that we're going to live a blessed life and a life that's, that's eternal with you in the heavens. And so, God, I pray for us as a church that, God, we would be a church that would reach out to sinners in our community. I pray that this would be a house where when somebody's life who's broken comes in, that they would be welcomed. And that, that this would be a place where they could come broken and, and, and be loved and, and get healed and, and, and be comfortable here in the process. And, Lord, that we would be a community of people that would not be about our theology or our doctrine, but would be Christ-centered and loving people and and seeing people who are far from God being brought close to you, God. And so, Lord, help us to love. And, Lord, if there's anybody here today that, that doesn't know Jesus, that's not sure if they're a Christian or if they're saved, or if they walked out of here today and, and breathed their last, that they would go to heaven. Lord, before they leave, before I finish this prayer, I want to give everybody in here an opportunity just to say yes to Jesus, to become born again, to ask Jesus in your heart. And it's as simple as just saying yes to Jesus in your heart right now. And if you say yes to Jesus, come into your life, forgive you of your sins, be your Lord and Savior, and you realize you're a sinner who needs a Savior, and you repent and turn from your sins and call upon the Lord, that God will heal you and cleanse your life. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.